What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin our series on the bad girls of the Bible, and you might have a few questions about that. Why are we spending any of our time on the bad girls? Well, many months ago, when a group of us met to plan out the year of sermons, Chris Cotta from our Sunday School program shared that the ladies of the church had done a Bible study years ago called The Bad Girls of the Bible. And she thought that would make for uh, an interesting sermon series, and I agree. The Bible is full of male characters, and we spend most of our time there, but I think it's important that we set aside some time to reflect on some of the women in the scriptures, and in particular, ones that don't always get a lot of airtime. There are valuable lessons to be learned here, and our first comes from the story of Eve. She is one of the saints of the church, so it makes sense we would look at her life on All Saints Day, but she's also someone who has done something very wrong. Why would someone who lets sin enter the world, causing the end of paradise, be a person we talk about in the church? Well, I'd like to tell you why. Joe is going to read for us from the book of Genesis about that first sin and the punishment that followed. Oh, Joe is not going to read that for us. Joe's wondering why I'm saying his name. So I think I'll read that for you today. We looked at this same passage over the summer when we were talking about telling the truth and I shared how a snake talks in the story. Obviously, this isn't meant to suggest that snakes can talk. It's a story meant to tell us a much bigger truth about humans. This time we focus on Eve's story, so I want you to listen closely for details about her. What does she experience? What does it uh, what is she thinking or feeling here? Uh, so this is Genesis 3, 1 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return, you return to the ground, for out of, you, uh, out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And from... Uh, from James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may we be an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Open us to your will as we learn from your word, learn from Eve, and reflect on your call for our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a tiny butterfly. It is just barely over an inch big, and it is known as one of the rarest butterflies on earth. It is the St. Francis Seder. And it was declared an endangered species back in 1994. That's when Nick, a professor of zoology, got a call to come and save this incredibly rare butterfly. He didn't have a ton of experience in this particular area, but he was game. He went out and counted them, found out there were maybe a few hundred left. And most of them were in this one small area of Fort Bragg, a military base in North Carolina. They were actually found in the artillery range. His initial thought was that these constant explosions must be destroying the butterflies. So he found the few clusters left outside of the base because he wasn't allowed to work on the base, and he did everything he could to smooth out the habitat. They drained the ponds created by the beavers. They tried to prevent and stop any wildfires from burning the clusters of eggs, and they tracked the results turned out that the more they did to try and make the environment easy for the butterflies, the worse off they did. The butterflies were dying. With more research, they realized that they were heading in the wrong direction. What they actually needed to do was not to remove the obstacles for delicate butterflies. Instead, they needed to mess things up. The butterfly thrived in the chaos of the artillery range and nearly went extinct when people tried to make things easy. The flooding and fires may have killed some of the butterflies, but it also made it possible for a whole new generation to grow. The struggles gave opportunity for life. So they got out the chainsaws, they cut trees and restored the ponds, they restored the chaos to help the butterflies grow. 
I often find myself making a similar mistake as that zoologist. I think I can help someone, maybe my wife or my children or someone here at church, by clearing the obstacles for them. I want to make things as easy as possible. All you have to do is this one simple thing. Volunteer here, say this prayer, join this study, come to this service. But making things easy is not how we arrive at the fullness of life. Many of the women here already know this. You are not delicate butterflies. You don't need someone to clear the path and make things as easy as possible for you. You are tenacious and brave and strong. You have dealt with heartache and raised families. You've survived cancer and lost loved ones. You are saints and you are also bad girls in the very best sense. So now, I'd like to introduce you to one of the bad girls of grace. Each week, we're going to spend a couple of minutes hearing from one of the women from the church to help connect our stories with those of women in the Bible. You heard about Eve. Now let's hear from Carol. Uh, Will you welcome her as she joins me today? We're going to set up a couple of chairs here so we can have a casual chat right here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, Carol. Tell us uh, about your history, where you come from, your job, things like that from your okay. past. I grew up in Westfield, New Jersey, and I graduated from Columbia Presbyterian School of Nursing, and I've been a nurse for 50-plus years. Um, Tom and I have been members of Grace for 47 years. Mm-hmm. We've... Um, The church has been very important in our life. We've had uh, weddings, baptisms, confirmations, and also some memorial services. Mm -hmm. Right in this sanctuary, this is a very special place. Okay, special place for you. And Mm -hmm. I know that you have faced some challenges recently, so will you tell us a little bit about Tom? What's What's been happening there? We've always been there for each other. But then when he had a stroke in December he suddenly wasn't there. And I felt like I was kind of alone. I had family, my kids were great friends, Grace friends, but I knew I was missing something if I didn't call on the Lord. And I did, and uh, he, was, um, he was always there for me. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about that. How did you manage this adversity? How was it that you were able to overcome this really difficult moment of a stroke and, you know, loss of so many things that you were used to in your relationship with Tom? How did you work through those things? Well, as I say, with the kids, it was a big help because I couldn't have done that all by myself. And uh, the one big problem was we had moved from our house of 46 years to a smaller house in Ridgewood, but I still brought too much stuff with me. And I suddenly had to move into a little two-bedroom apartment in assisted living. So I I have to give a big shout-out to some of our friends from Grace who came and helped me decide what was a good thing to keep and what had to be thrown out, which I was having a real tough time doing. So, um, but just those physical things but emotionally, I needed, um, I needed the Lord. And I have, uh, he's always been by my side, strengthening me and loving me and giving me peace and hope. Mm-hmm. And I do have a scripture that I have fallen 
in love with, and it has helped me a lot. Romans 12, 12. And that says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And that's what I've used to get through the tough days. Okay, very good. Well, thank you, Carol, for sharing that. I mean, that's, that's a, 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 a deep difficulty that you've gone through. And your uh, work through that gives us hope and inspires us. So thank you for your willingness to share your story. I know it's not easy to do, to stand up in front of everybody and, and share. So thank you for that. Can we thank Carol for sharing here today? Thank you. Thank you. You know, one of the things in Carol's story that reminds me of, of Eve and her confrontation in the garden is this. She was deceived and perhaps manipulated by that snake, so she and Adam both ate from the forbidden fruit. Uh, and, then, and then God asks Adam, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And he, he turns it into the blame game, right? A lot of us are familiar with this idea. He said, well, the woman you gave to be with me gave me the fruit, and then I ate. So he blames Eve. And then God turns to Eve and asks, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent tricked me. So Eve blames the snake. And neither is willing to take ownership of the decision that they made. They are immature. They don't take on responsibility. They just try to blame someone else. But Carol is not like that. She knows that she made a commitment to Tom a long time ago. And that commitment means whatever may come. She's going to be there. She's going to do what it takes to make sure Tom gets the care that he needs. It's interesting that the thing that gets Eve in trouble is when the snake says she can eat the fruit and become like God. Most stories about being like God have to do with immortality. There's Gilgamesh and the Greek gods. Today we have Marvel superheroes with their new movie, The Eternals, that just came out. It's all about people that are godlike because they have been here for thousands of years, right? Essentially immortal like God is immortal. That's a typical route stories and movies take to become like God. But here Eve is tempted not by that a uh, question of immortality, she is tempted by the knowledge of good and evil. Sure, there's a tree of life, but that's not the main thing driving the action here. It's the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to know those two things. Oftentimes, we know what's good and what's not good. We see it, we can just tell that something is wrong, right? And that's usually enough for us. Carol knows that caring for her husband is the right thing to do. Uh, if she didn't you know people in the church would be talking to her about it, right? Carol, Tom lives alone. That seems strange. Or I notice that you're rarely home. What about Tom, right? Those are the questions that we would ask of her. We know similar obligations exist in our extended families, right? Our immediate family, especially children, need to take care of their parents, especially as they're aging. That's not an option. We have to figure out a way to make sure we honor them in their final years, it might look different from one family to another, but this is a biblical command. Honor your mother and father that it may go well with you in the land. But after some of these clear-cut commands, don't murder, don't lie, don't cheat, it can get a lot trickier when it comes to good and evil, right? I remember growing up, uh, my family, we would have a lot of arguments. One person would make a statement and the other would take an issue with it, essentially being the devil's advocate. You'd think that we grew up in a household of lawyers or something uh, with how we would come up with these convoluted defenses of the positions that we took, but 
We didn't. We just really liked to argue, I think. The one beautiful thing, though, was that after any argument, we would get to the end of it and act as if nothing had happened. We would tell each other that we loved one another, and we would hug. Every argument ended with a hug and an affirmation. And for the longest time, I thought that was really good. That was the right way to argue. But one day I realized something that was wrong. I had been learning a lot about family dynamics and some of the dysfunction that happens there. And I realized that loving someone doesn't mean we do a loving thing at the end. Love means we do a loving thing the whole time, all the way through the process. An argument done in love is done for the other person's benefit. It's not done, or it's, it is done with kindness. It's, it's the right motives at work from start to finish. So I told my family I wouldn't argue with them anymore. And you know how they responded to that? They got really angry at me. <laughs> and uh, I was breaking the rules. This is a family that fights and then gives a hug at the end, right? Eventually, though, the dynamic in our family did change. The thing that helped us get from something bad to something good, though, was wisdom. Wisdom is being able to see good and evil and being able to tell the difference. It's seeing things from another person's position, knowing that what's good for the gander is good for the goose. It's seeing things as they really are and not just how we wish them to be. I think Eve did not have wisdom when she ate of that fruit. She was naive and knew little of how the world worked, so the knowledge of good and evil became a destructive force. We see this in children all the time, right? When they are little, they are sweet and innocent. When they get a little older, they are taking literal handfuls out of your trick-or-treating bowl that says, take one. I promise I'm not bitter or anything at the neighborhood kids here. After Halloween, they're good kids. As young ones get older and they know more, though, they haven't necessarily gained wisdom. They know information, but not always how to use it. It's essentially the difference between an activity, like learning or knowing something, and quality. Real wisdom is using what you know to make a difference, to improve things, to do good. You feel it. You feel wisdom when someone hears your story and they pray with you, or a group is trying to figure out the right direction to take and someone says, I think this is where we need to go. And the room agrees. It feels right. It's the right application, the right direction, the right response for this moment in time. Sometimes we think of wisdom as being automatic as we get older or a guarantee for the boss who's in charge. If you've been around long enough, though, you know that's not always the case. The boss can be a fool, and a person can spend a lifetime with their head in the sand. Wisdom only comes when we engage with life as it really is, not pretending, not wishing or hoping. It's seeing the world with all that's good and bad and steering the right course. Carol is doing that with Tom. And in the midst of that, she's reminding us what it looks like to be a saint. In a biblical sense, all Christians are considered saints. But usually we reserve that word for people who are exceptional, 
Well, I very much think that of Carol. She is an exceptional human and an incredible blessing to those around her. Let's end with this. Uh, Kirk Cousins is an NFL quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. You may not cheer for him to win against the Ravens today, but there is one good reason for you to cheer for him. Supposedly, he has a jar in his home with 720 stones in it. Each stone is meant to represent one month of his life. At the start of each month, he takes the stone out and carries it with him to remind him, this is it. After this month, it's over and gone. You can't get it back. He learned to do this from a Bible study, and the verse they examined was from Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, Teach us, Lord, to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. You have to choose wisdom. You have to do the hard work of growing and learning and discerning. You have to figure out how to work well with others and get a feel for what is truly right, what is good and right and true for this moment, in this situation. In counting our days, in reflecting on the wisdom of the saints that have gone before us, we move closer to having that wise heart. May Eve remind us that wisdom doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come in an instant. It requires effort. And in her lifetime, she became a saint and a source of life for others. May we follow her example and the example of all saints that teach us and lead us to Christ, the real source of all wisdom. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.